Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. I'm Alex Clifford. I run a business called Logic Digital. Um, I've spent the past 20 years working across digital environments for large digital agencies across corporate environments. And uh, five years ago, I set up my own digital agency um, to do it for myself rather than building other people's businesses. And what is it your agency does? Uh, Primarily WordPress, but we kind of um, we do all of the normal kind of WordPress and website design and development, SEO, PPC, social media marketing. Where we like to kind of sort of start off, though, is helping people first understand that not everyone can buy their products. Where is their their real customer base? What are their personas? How can they better communicate with them? How can they kind of really understand and recorrect what their value proposition is and then put that across in, in, a, in a consistent way? So that uh, we're not just, you know, joining the bandwagon. We're not just sending out more of the same messages and just trying to hit the numbers. We are actually trying to create something that grows. Um, a company I particularly like to type and work for is a company where, you know, maybe they're, they're already winning work. They're still growing in different things, but maybe that work they're winning is not really where they see their future or where they want to be. Um, and it's really about helping them identify really the type of work they like doing, they earn the most money out of or works best for their future business direction and then helping them get that onto a vision plan and a roadmap to start to take them towards it. That's great. And, and I'm assuming with the pandemic, you saw a lot of businesses that were sort of brick and mortar having to pivot to more digital means. Uh, there is. I mean, there was a lot of people just did the old panic of, uh, of switch everything off and, and stop doing everything and just remove budget. So, you know, we, we, like a lot of businesses lost a, a you know a, a good portion of our client base because you know their bricks and mortar environments were shut down um but we also gained a lot of business from people that realized that you know while they couldn't go out and meet people they could translate their businesses online and do you know um particularly around sort of the training environments move from classroom to online basis um move their courses and content online and the other benefits and facilities that would give them um and then you know like we mentioned with with a lot of the kind of sort of profile work that we do as to helping companies sort of raise their profile or demonstrate their expertise or experience. It's about kind of sort of taking that to the next level and showing them how they can improve that online. LinkedIn's a great example. Most people's LinkedIn profiles are a CV and even if they're only 10% of the connections they've got on there are people they can actually sell to. So it's starting to turn that round so that it actually talks about the value add they give to other people um, and then connecting them with the right target audience so that they can demonstrate their expertise and hopefully then use that as an opportunity to create conversations. So we usually, we like to start off with asking our guests to provide their own definition of digital workspace. Um, I don't know if that's a term you come across often uh, in your work life, but if you could uh, give us your your opinion on uh, what that term means to you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something we we were really lucky with as a, as a business. So we were quite, I suppose, in some ways traditional in the fact that we had an office. We all came into the office every day and uh, and we all sat there and we liked that sort of collaboration and communication. But when things like lockdown happened, we were we were pretty much able just to pick up our machines and just go home. 
Um, and we've been the same um, sort of ever since. But but it means for me is really it's about it's about easy access, easy access to each other. It's easy access to the information, notes, files, things that we need to to run our business. Um, it's about being visible within activity as well. So see what's happening without pestering people all the time or constantly having to chase them for updates or write lots of wordy contact reports and task lists and to-do lists, but having a look at those and then really checking the status. Um, we use Microsoft um, 365 um, through Teams. Um, we have that set up in quite a convoluted way. So we have different channels for internal communications, different channels for our own internal project discussions, and then separate channels set up as well for our client communications. Um, but what that means is I can take a, a very simple 10,000 foot view across internal team collaboration or client collaboration, sort of look at the, the sort of tone or what's happening or some of the challenges people are doing, or if someone's having to constantly chase someone for something um, and look at really where the bottlenecks are within the business and then prioritize my time as to actually, well, I'm going to go and solve this bit now and, and focus on that, not just chase around the things that, that I think are important. I can, it sort of helps feed that information to me. Did you find quite a um, an easy adoption from your customers to switch over to something like Teams or, or Zoom if you use that to begin with? Um, no, Teams is is a little bit awkward in, in in the process. We've got a number of clients that wouldn't use anything else, and that's great because you know all of the collaboration and communication was in it. Um, previously, before Teams, we were using you know a culmination of of Slack, Skype, Google Hangouts, and everything else around it, which meant that. Our information and the and the continuity of information or the conversation was fragmented. Um, trying to move everyone across the teams um, is not always an easy process, but once they get there and once they sort of see the benefit to it, then then it's great. I think there's a little bit that teams needs to do in making the different sort of team. Um, I'm not sure how they they word it, but obviously we have our own team environment, and I can invite people as guests to that. Some of our clients have their own environments, and it's not a great integration between those environments. When they're mm. in our environment, it's all perfectly clear and it's nice and easy. But uh, but when they sort of have their own environments as well, sometimes it can get a bit clunky. Um, but you know, we get around it. Yeah, it's 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 the tenants. That, you know, having two different tenants or three different tenants, we found the same problem when you specifically when you're doing things like uh, like we record the session now, because you're not in my tenant, you can't get the video. Yeah. Well, or the voice you'd have to download it into OneDrive and then share it that way or, or whatever. I think there are rumors of improvements like that with the roadmap, but it is, it is painful. Oh, it's massively moved on. I mean, one of the challenges that we had when we first used it is they had a 10 file limit when you're uploading files into, into a folder system and stuff. I mean, all that immediate, you know, went really quickly um, and doing it. And it seems done almost on a daily basis to, to improve. Um, I mean, little features like, you know, recent ones that they've launched where you can actually have teams open. I, I run three three computer screens um, so I can actually have you guys on my on my laptop screen and sort of be talking to you. I can have teams open on another one, but also have, you know, any kind of sheets, work documents, notes or things like that um, happening on another screen. So um, that that works nicely for me. Yeah, I don't know if you um, listened to our episode with with a couple other guys where we went through an email reduction exercise mm -hmm. and trying to move um, as much as we could to some sort of instant messenger. Uh, and I found recently that, that with a new, some new hires, they only use instant messenger. They don't like to send emails. Yeah. Um, and that's been quite a nice, uh, nice way of working. 
Uh, although you got to turn the sound effects off. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really like it. I I don't like the instant messenger piece. The, the the bit I like is 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 for me that really translates into into a process of polite interruption. If you're sitting in an office full of people, you can see whether someone's got their headphones on, they've got their head down, and they're buried into it, and you can make a decision as to when to contact them. You start instant messaging. You want an instant reply. You start sort of using the phone call or doing those. You can be, you know, it, it can be really quite disruptive. Um, I find Teams is a really good way of of actually seeing where it is. We have it tied in, obviously, to our calendars and different pieces. And the guys are very good at sort of blocking time out to say, like, I'm working on this project at that point. Um, so, you know, if the developer's working on a particular thing, I know that, you know, he needs focus time to do that. He doesn't want me be bugging him with 20 questions every five minutes on on, on what's happening. Um, but when we do need a conversation, it's also very quick and easy. Yeah, you can kind of tune your own status to kind of help with that. I think whenever we talk about teams and any of the, um, you know, it's not, uh, what do we call it? It's not, I mean, it's more of like a continuous messaging platform than instant messaging because obviously they persist. Yeah. Um, but so much of it is about, finding your own groove as an organization and determining your own culture around it. You know, I have colleagues where beyond at three in the morning and responding to me, but I'd rather sometimes drop them, you know, ping them something in teams rather than send out some lengthy email about it. Um, especially if, you know, if the document's right there and it's all just very neat, right. Um, inside the platform. So yeah, I think a lot of it is just around the expectations and knowing like who is going to get distracted if you send them a message right now and, you know, who's good about sort of self-control in that way. It is. And and that for me is around, I think, as I mentioned, that sort of polite interruption. It's about being respectful of the guys that you've got working with you and what they're doing. Um, and, you know, but also using it in the other way so that you can actually sort of see what's happening. Um, you know, there are a number of times that I've looked at sort of things and I've read things into a client communication to deal with, you know, maybe the, the fact that they're not quite happy with something or it's not moving forwards as quickly that, you know, you can get into it. And the same with internal comms, you can, you can have a look at uh, what's happening. I mean, it's, it's been really hard since lockdown. People are, I suppose lonely because of the, the 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 lack of sort of human interaction and and sort of things like that. We go to great lengths in in just kind of sort of arranging sometimes you know group meetings and different pieces like that just to bring everybody together to talk about their workload, what's happening with it, and and where it is, so that we can you know try and sort of as a group help out rather than you know just leaving it as to everyone's got this great stack of work to do and there's nothing there to help them. Mm. Yeah, we've had to probably all change our our way of team working. It's very easy yeah. to go to a silo of well, I've got work to do today, and you have we have a daily stand up, and well, I have a scrum and I have a stand up, and then it's very easy to say, well, I've got six things to do today. I'll just do those six things and disconnect from everybody else while you're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to almost have those generic catch up meetings, or at least talking to people, uh, you know, to catch up with them like you would if you were in the same office. It is. But again, like I mentioned, um, um, you know, before we part of my role, I see is, as you know, is yes, I own the business, I run the business um, and I'm responsible for most of it. But, you know, I employ people to do things that, you know, to be honest, I can't do, you know, and mm. they're the experts in what they do. And I need them to do those pieces. I need to give them the, the room and I suppose facilitate the process for them to be able to do it. Um, trust. You need to do Trust is something I did see an article the other day on someone that was actually uh, using crease tr tracking software to, to monitor what he's doing, his staff were doing and taking screenshots every few minutes and, 
I, if I if I got to that bit, I think I'd uh, change direction and do something else. <laughs> that was um, that was actually trending as the number one read article on the BBC. I think. Yeah, it was it was appalling. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm going to say, I mean, one of the bits that I really like with 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 sort of teams is being able to manage that that, and I suppose the way that we use teams is. It does enable you to bring all those together, but it also enables you still to have have that focus. I mean, we always used to have like a headphone policy, even in the office, Mm. maybe have music or whatever, or something or chatter happening in and around. But if someone was putting something on, whether they were playing music or not, it didn't matter. If they got the headphones on sort of thing, it was don't disturb them unless you really need to. Um, But the process is with, with, with sort of teams is it still enables you to have that focus because everything is rather than you having to go into your email to try and find some communication and then seeing something else you don't really need to that you then wander off on that channel to or getting most to it, you can almost just sort of drill straight into that thing. You've only got that conversation chain to do with that project within there. Everything's all in a single place. Um, and it has brought all of that together. I used to hate working with um, Slack and stuff like that because I spent half my time trying to find the conversation and scooping back through things and over a whole bunch of other conversations that reminded me of something else that I'd still got to do. And you just, I just don't need that. I just focus on this one for now and get it done and get it done right. Yeah, I think there is a need to structure your, your channels and your projects appropriately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, having the, the confusion around having your teams inside your teams. But but having that stuff organized to the point that you're not involved in every single group or every single channel and, and only called in when you need to be involved is also also nice. Yeah. The noise that goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And, you know, we, we have a, a bunch of other things as well. So we've um, we've always been a lot with sort of, you know, spinning up virtual machines and, and, and online machines. So we have a couple of extra servers that we, we have available to us as well. So if one of the guys is doing some video work, rather than tying up their computer, doing all the, you know, the compiling and everything from that, they can actually log in, do that on a server, almost kind of log off from it and leave that running while they get on with something else. So it's again, it's about freeing up you know, them and their environment to, to, to put that in as well. What solutions are you using uh, for your VMs? Um, Oracle. Um, the, uh, um, I, I think it's um, VirtualBox, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we can just spin up as many machines as we want. We've got a, um, I got a couple of Xeon um, rack mount servers um, that we, we can, you know, um, access through VPNs. To, to get into and then we can run them. It's great, obviously, if we're testing, especially one of the things with moving away from the office is obviously normally a, a, a digital business like us would probably have a, you know, a stack of old technology, some old laptops, some old screens and some bits like that to testing things on um, yeah. and environments. It's hard to do that when, you know, people can't take all that home. Um, so, you know, having all of that available on, on different machines and being able to spin up different environments or test scenarios, they can they, they can create their own um, um, structures for it. Or if we're doing a, you know, a big messaging campaign for a client or doing something like that, they, you know, they don't have to tie up their, their machine to do it. They can actually get another machine to do it, which in itself also makes it more possible for us to other people to get and go in and support them if there's a problem. Yeah. collaborating it and, and share it as well. So uh, um, we had that re- recently with a with a client software where it wasn't uh, linking through correctly. And, you know, if it had been on the person's machine or on their desktop, we'd have been a bit stuck. Um, mm. But because it was all remote accessed and capable, it was uh, it was nice and easy. But um, but it does. And, and technology is, is part of it, though. But it's like you mentioned at the beginning, that culture is is massively important, um, you know, we in the office had sit-stand desks. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting down at the moment, but I could stand up 
Um, I think like you are, Ryan, at the moment and, and sort of doing it. It's yeah. it's about that sort of sort of comfort. People can only work at kitchen tables for so long. And it's a case of making sure that uh, that they've got it. We every, Everybody in the office had dual screens. Yeah. Half my guys at the moment have gone back to single screens. Um, that's a benefit. Um, in some ways, they, sit, they, they seem to find it easier. But I think it's about, you know, managing their own home environment as well. Because, you know, having to connect and set up dual screen environments and keep moving them off the kitchen tables, just, just not great. Um, and I think as businesses like ours, we need to start having a look at if we are going to not go back into an office environment, how we can actually start to give some of that back to them. And I spoke to a couple of people recently where they are actually looking at providing um, staff with, uh, with incentivized loans or discounted loans to help them make some home improvements to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I had this, this cabin at the bottom of the garden before lockdown. Now, well, I've had it for about 10 years. I think until March, I was I overwintered my fish in here while I was sorting the pond out. But <laughs> the benefit is, is that I was able to move in here. I've now got this all network cabled up, powered up and everything else. I've got four desks in here. So I've tried to create a space for them to come if they need to get away from that kitchen table for a break. So they can actually sort of come and sit here and work here as well. So we actually have choices and options because, I mean, as a business, we have we, I've given up on the office at the moment. We're only in a shared office environment. Um, it didn't make sense um, keeping it on, um, especially as we were doing so well, all working remotely. And as our business is, although we have a, a UK team, we also have an Indian team as well. So, you know, we're used to working in that sort of international environment. Um, you know, and it's been good. Yeah, we're very similar in that sense. So we've also given up our office, you know, our lease runs out in December, but none of us have gone into that office, you know, barring picking up things that we want either to use at home or when it comes to packing up the office, we we want to, you know, make it easy to pack it up. Yeah. Um, and we've worked with our teams. We've had, we've had developers in, in many countries. So, you know, from a tech point of view, it's always been a case of working remotely and, and distributed because, you know, your cost of resource and your expertise are, are global. They're not... Um, not located just in the UK. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you, with your shared office space, I mean, you're very lucky to have an, I mean, you're, I'll be honest, when I look at the video now, your, your office looks like a proper office. I mean, you said the shed at the bottom of the garden. I mean, I didn't expect <laughs> to you said it. But are you expecting, I mean, when you say using a shared office, are you using something like a Regis or a, um, I don't know what, a WeWork or something like that? Or uh, we, the, Shared office we had was a building called the MBV Enterprise Center. It was a, um, I think originally started off as an incubator, but just actually became a, a very, very nice shared office environment. Um, it met with a lot of things that, that I wanted to do. So we've, we've done a number of apprenticeships and, and things like that. It was also on the tram line. So, you know, we did a lot of kind of sort of um, younger people when we first started off as well. So that, that fitted with us, but it was, uh, yeah, just a nice, comfortable environment where everything was was provided. Um, and it meant that I could leave people in the office as well or have them opening up the office. The difficulty with this place, obviously, is it's in my back garden. They're not having the front door key, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, uh, it's It makes that a little bit more difficult. But Do you think this uh, fully remote mode will be sort of a uh, continual thing for you or do you see um some sort of move back to the office eventually or like you know a hybrid model where people come in for a couple days and go home for a couple days or what are your thoughts there uh, well that's what we've kind of set up so i have set this up so that i can have you know three of the team in here with me at any time um and all socially distanced which is which is quite nice um the the benefit from that then is is that 
we may go back to an office, but I think it'll be more of a a large kind of open off office sort of um, kitchen space rather than, you know, where you have fixed desks as we used to and everyone had their own set of drawers and, and everything kind of set up. It will be more of that um, client collaboration kind of post-it note workshop session space rather than anything else. I mean, I've tried to do some of that with with the whiteboards there behind me and stuff because, again, we are doing that virtually at the moment. So either through Microsoft whiteboarding and stuff like that and different tools. But, you know, in, in some ways, it's still not the same. Mm. You know, yeah, I definitely think we're moving back to that sort of mobile worker. You have your backpack, and your backpack is everything you need, and you can just work anywhere, you know, anytime, uh, providing your connectivity um, to, to work. It is, but I mean, it's like most of my career I've spent traveling. Um, you know, I, I wish I'd kind of been able to do some of this remote working and video working and everything else as much. I wouldn't know so many, intimately so many airports and lounges and different spaces like that, or spend so much time waiting for planes and through delays. Um, you know, but this is not really that different to it. You know, I used to have to pack into a bag, all of my post-it notes, my whiteboards, all of the pieces and actually take them out and then run the sessions remotely in client offices. So mm. really, you know, we, the only difference is the fact that I can't shake the hand now. Yeah. Um, and, and that bit is, uh, has, has, has worked well. We do have to look at, you know, sometimes how long we spend in front of, of the screens. So, so creating those and, and actually making, you know, work sometimes is stressful. So sometimes making that a bit more fun, you know, um, as a business, one of the things that we had, um, which was, you know, this sort of two meetings, we have a meeting in the beginning of the week, which talks about what we've got on that week for people to help out. And we have one on a Friday, which is just called, yeah, it's Friday. Um, <laughs> and really the whole process of that is there is nothing negative in that meeting. Um, I do sometimes have to send a note out to get people to start thinking of positive things that have happened in that week for them to bring up in the meeting. Um, but it, it's just kind of a fun Mickey Tate way to kind of finish the week off and get everyone into the weekend. That's quite cool. I quite like that idea. Because as I say, we do the daily ones, um, <clears> but they get, it, there's the feeling now that it's a, it's a bit monotonous. So maybe we'll, we'll steal you a Friday meeting idea, four o'clock on a Friday drinks meeting. Yeah, it's it's a good way to sort of do it. It's, uh, um, you know, I, I like I say, part of my role, I suppose, is is making sure that the that the team are facilitated and able to do the jobs that I need them to do for for the revenue and the clients that we want to work with. Um, and part of that is their own kind of sort of sort of mental attitude and 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 where it is. So that's why we've kind of had the structures that we've had because that's what works from the team. I'd like to say I've had all those ideas and I've put them all in. I've just allowed them to do with the bits that I mm. kind of agree with and, and can benefit with it. It's, uh, you know, a lot of the systems that we use and the tools and the processes are actually come from, from the team um, and giving them the freedom to, to set those up. Yeah. I guess we've heard from a lot of our guests that, um, you know, this whole work life balance and knowing when to shut off and all of that has been, a huge challenge. So I think it's really important to set up that time to focus and um, reflect on on positive things that have mm -hmm. happened because it's so easy right now to just, you know, keep your nose down and just like work through all of the challenges that all of us are facing and all of the ways that our jobs have changed and just our normal activities have been have been impacted. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I think the benefit for us, I mean, although we kind of even did it in the office, we had um, I've always worked for businesses that have been fairly flexible time wise and, and not really sort of, you know, nobody standing on the door, clocking in, clocking out. It's uh, I only ever worked one place with there and I, I didn't last that very long. Um, <laughs> the, 
the benefit for me is, you know, the guys come and go as they please. You know, um, one of the team messages this morning, he wasn't going to be there for our quick morning catch up, see how things were going because he, you know, his, his wife was on a call and he had to walk the dog. So, you know, and it's a case of having, you know, the sort of the trust and the capability within the team to, to do that. Um, you know, if they want to start at seven, you know, and finish at three, that's fine by me. I, I don't mind. Um, so long as we don't have, you know, clients chasing them in different bits. But again, through teams, they're, they're, they're able to filter that or monitor that on their phone. And if they do need to step back into something, they can do. But uh, I do try and make sure that they don't overdo it on that piece as well. It's it's kind of, you know, it, it's always difficult for me in managing that client expectation. And I think sort of managing um, clients that don't understand that switch off piece or, or mm. doing those and trying to sort of protect some of those pieces. Um, yeah. and, and we're only a small team. So sometimes the clients have direct access to people in the team. And sometimes I do have to kind of sort of, you know, ask the team if maybe that is now is the best time to be responding to that or checking onto it. But, uh, but that's why again, teams is quite nice for us on that. I can see those communications and requirements coming through. Um, you know, and the danger is, is you end up with, uh, you know, we, we can all work 20 hours a day. I mean, I'm sure we could all find enough to do and, and, and certain sort of things, but that wouldn't be good. Yeah, I mean that's that is the trick is that you've got to you've got to have not necessarily boundaries because I think we we almost get away from the nine to five factory mindset. Yeah, but if you're doing you know sort of like I take my son for a walk seven till about nine thirty in the mornings and I log on for my first call and I do my second call then that's then it's work for a bit and then I go take him for something else. You know he gets a good and now with the daughter she's also getting some some time. They get the time from you that they would never get if you're working in, in the city every day. Yeah. Um, and then you can work the afternoon, put them in your bath and all that, you know, all that time that you would never have, you're now getting, but you've also been productive with your work because you're also having mental breaks. And and most of the time that mental break is not a screen break, you know, going from watching a screen while you're doing a Zoom call to go watching a, an episode of Netflix while you have lunch, which your brain still sees it as a screen. Yeah. That's uh, not really a break. That's no, very no. interesting. Yeah, and it's nice to get out of it. I, I do like that flexibility. I think going forwards, the workplace is, is is going to be very flexible regarding on sort of, you know, even location, days of the week people work. You know, if someone's got to have something done or wants to go, you know, um, to go out somewhere, then, then doing it. But hours of the day, you know, we don't, you know, I've worked with developers and people in the past that, that were better in the evening. You know, mm-hmm. We just set an environment up and they work through the evening. And, and particularly with some of the American clients we've worked with, that was was a godsend yeah. um, because they were able to work at that time zone and, and different pieces, which uh, just made life easier. I think it's also changed business in the sense you no longer, I mean, people naturally like to work with someone local to them, you know, geographically located. But now you can be time zone in, in, uh, integrated in the sense that you can work with any customer plus or minus two hours of your location, let's say. Yeah. Um, because you you know it's all online and, and yes you might do the odd trip out when, when you're allowed to fly into a country depending on what color the list you're on um, but to do the face-to-face meeting but to do the to do a, a virtual meeting first and then engage and do the work everyone's getting, everyone's getting used to it now which yeah. is kind of a nice with, with, the, with the best intentions of, of this pandemic it's been a nice nice byproduct. It is. And, and we're kind of seeing in some of the projects that we're starting to do, there's been a big shift in some of the, the work pieces, if you like, in, you know, in, in the past, we used to do a lot of sort of customer experience, mapping, profiling, um, turning that into an information architecture, um, and then starting to match those customer journeys to, to something that would, you know, reflect their brand and, and, and create an online presence that was was enjoyable. 
the difficulty now is that that a lot of people are, are do seem to have jumped into I just want an online presence. So we do get a lot of requirements at the moment of, you know, well, just take a WordPress template and color it in, um, stick my logo on the top. And th there's a lot of that happening at the moment in sort of doing it. Um, for me, I think the big shift is going to come. And this is like the way that lockdown and, and this current sort of um, situation we find ourselves in is like change the way our, 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 our opinion to how we use cash, to how we use shops, to how we interact in the high street, to, to how we interact socially with other people. And, and really kind of, you know, it, it, it sort of jumped us about five years forwards mm. um, in, in some of those processes. So, you know, like, you know, helping businesses really sort of take that less traditional approach to their business and the way they had to do business to actually then starting to think about, you know, forcing them all to be digital disruptors, if you like, and yeah. actually taking forward the challenges in, in, in how their industries work. Um, and that's going to be really cool. I mean, from from the way that training courses are delivered to the way that um, mental health support and guidance and even hospital appointments and everything now are delivered. And, you know, a lot of people are finding it the norm now to, to discuss intimate details over a video camera with their doctor. Um, yeah. now, the fact that we will in the future be able to do everything from, you know, viewing cars to getting trained to, to doing that, regardless of where we are in the marketplace you know, and that takes away all those bits as, you know, brings it back to that location. It doesn't matter where, whether I'm, you know, where I am in, a, in, in, the, in the world, what day of the week it is. I can work what times of the evening that I want to. So, you know, a lot of people can make that flexibility really happen for them. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever read the book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss? No, I haven't. No. So it's, it's worth a read. It, it, it's, it's on that same premise. How do you, how do you um, set up your life that you only have to work you know, okay, the, the, the four hours a week is, is a bit of a misnomer, but but in, in the chunks that make sense while you actually are experiencing the things you want to experience. So don't wait to retire and then go and tour the world. Go to the world now, but you still but set yourself up that you can work anytime, anywhere. You've got all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It is that, that thing. I mean, I you know, for the last two years, we've gone back to South Africa for a month um, to see family and all the rest of it, and I've worked from there, but it's taken a lot of education of the people I work with to say it doesn't matter that I'm in South Africa today and you know London tomorrow and UK tomorrow um, you know I'm still online I'm still checking my email I'm still doing phone calls it's just it's just geographically different uh, yeah. yeah yeah I've got a couple of clients that are, are you know running a UK business but you know part of the management team are digital kind of nomads if you like you know, they were, well, recently we were running a, a collaborative workshop like this. One of the guys was in Bali. One of the guys was in uh, the, the, the Swiss Alps. Um, one guy was in um, Milton Keynes, I think, or somewhere, or Norfolk somewhere. It was it kind of, yeah, he got the short straw, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't sort of, you know, it doesn't matter. Mostly for me, it's more about that kind of attitude and, and getting people um, the, the tools in the workplace so that they can actually work effectively without having to hunt it. So they've got the information they need at their fingertips, if they like, and, and they can then collaborate, ask questions and, and, and evolve as part of a team. But then, you know, just, just taking that on to creating something that, that, that has that flexibility. I've kind of lost where I was going really with that a little bit, but uh, creating that kind of flexibility of, of, of what they're trying to do. The speed now that we can sort of, um, and we always used to talk about sort of, um, sort of, sort of rapid, pro rapid prototype development and proof of concepts and stuff, but the speed of what we can do that now, rather than, you know, even now waiting for, you know, me to come back and write a brief up to give it to a team and then take a range of meeting with them and doing it. And just doing that now in a completely collaborative environment, 
some of those bits have just become so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that friction you talk about, trying to reduce that friction, that is that is a huge thing about the digital workplace, I think. Mm. Um, you know, you, you look at this anecdotally, when, when this lockdown kicked in and there were so many companies that had no um, what's this called, continuity plan besides going from one site to another site, mm-hmm. which had the same problems. Now they had to go and issue a whole bunch of laptops they didn't have yep. to use it so they weren't, so they could socially distance, they could lock down. I, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of organizations that if those first two to four weeks were probably a nightmare, whereas other organizations that had planned for this sort of thing, you know, using, you know, virtual tools, virtual desktops and all the rest of it, probably just picked another switch or, or just reduced capacity to increase capacity, reduced um, load to increase capacity and mm-hmm. everyone came working. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's about that friction. Well, yeah, so, so when you were saying about the future work, so there's a book that I, I'm going to reread again. It's called The Shift. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get hold of the, the author. Um, I read it a couple of years ago. And, and your analogy of, of the person, you know, being in Bali, another person being in wherever, she, that's how she sort of starts the book, is that, that, that you know, you wake up, out, get out of bed, but instead of you joining your conference call as you in your pajamas, your avatar is joining the meeting. And yeah. you're having the conversation while you're brushing your teeth, but your avatar is in a suit and whatever, and you're doing the, the meeting. It's exactly talking about this with a with a client recently um and again um i suppose the part of the issue at the moment is what we've helped a number of clients with what, what i would count as lockdown videos if you like where they're, they're starting to do their own presence and take their own videos um in some instances that's not quite right we do a lot as a business do a lot of content generation for the clients yeah um and one of the bits that we're looking at doing is is, is how we can actually use ai technology to support some of that mm-hmm. so where you can actually have it and you can um, very simply now, kind of sort of um, get yourself sort of digitized and, and say a few words and have a recorded. And then basically we can give that avatar a piece of content yeah. and it would read it almost as though you were at the, you were actually reading it yourself and, 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 and give you that content straight back in quite a, a personal way. Um, the technology has got a little bit to move on in sort of doing it to be really usable, but I think in the right kind of sort of context and gimmicky or, or a little bit maybe sort of tongue-in-cheek way and there's certain ways that we could use that really quite effectively and make it really easy to to repurpose content um and again that's something that we tend to do a lot of so we'll, we'll create a piece of content for a client um and that piece of content might be a good piece of content on its own but if you're looking at it from your own industry your own challenge perspective sometimes it's still quite hard for you to go read that article or, or read the whole article and understand really what you should understand from it. So we do a lot of, um, I suppose, in that same way of translating that. So we will take that article and then reshare that out or promote it to certain people and tell them why it's important to them and what they should get from it or almost in the article where they should get that information. Because, you know, it's the classic case, isn't it? It's it's if you were sitting across from a client now and they asked for you for, for a case study, you wouldn't just give them a document, which was a case study. You would say, here is a case study or a, or a white paper that we've written might not seem completely relevant to you and your industry on the first point, but actually it was important to you for these reasons, you know, or have a look at, you know, section four and paragraph three, then there is actually a process or a similar challenge that we solved for, for another client. Um, But to give them a 20 page document and hope that they find that paragraph is, is just impossible. Have you seen that um, from the open AI institution, GCP, I think it's the GTP library, which is a, or, or solution, which is an AI engine that they basically set up to it consumed a whole bunch of articles mm-hmm. and then it's 
that it wrote its own article and the people that were reading it couldn't they had a test group couldn't actually tell the difference between the, the article that was written by the robot versus the human one and basically okay. i could almost see it being the same thing you take a whole bunch of you know, your materials and you ask and you set it up to write the article that is the summation of what you're looking for to give to that custom which is nice and personalized and but it doesn't cost you you know too many man hours to deliver that content anymore Okay, sounds really quite interesting. Um, we've we've done a number of things like that in the past. So, one of the projects we did last year was 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 about sort of um, keeping data current. And there's always a range of so you give a sales team a whole bunch of PDFs and content to send out. Yeah, it's very difficult to police that process and to make sure that they aren't still sharing content you gave them a year ago that's sitting on their C drive that, you know, that they're still sharing out because it seems relevant to them, but, you know, it's maybe got two version iterations or has been improved in certain ways. So, so we actually created a system that, that held that as almost like a centralized knowledge library, um, yeah. but then provided the sales team with a shareable link. So rather than them sharing out a PDF, for example, we, we'd lighten the load via email or if they were sharing it via social channels, and made it simpler for that by just giving them a shareable link. Um, but then everybody that went to that, it didn't matter whether you had that link two years ago or yesterday, you got the most current piece of content that was relevant to it. Um, and there's, there's a lot of that kind of sort of sort of shift in making sure that people are getting, you know, up-to-date information. And the nice thing is, is it's also, also as well more auditable, trackable you know, you can actually start to put a, a funnel metric on top of it. You can start to monitor exactly how people are coming to it and the impact of content or actually look at where you lead them to it. You know, um, I, I do get a pause sometimes with the amount of people that are still sending out just a PDF um, and then hoping that that turns into it because there's so much more you can do with that technology now in actually using it to, to sort of start a journey or engage a client. Um, and that, that works really well. Cool. What do you see some of, as some of the challenges for both, both technology and, and sort of business for 2020, 2020 and 2021? Challenges across a lot of businesses are going to be scalability and experience. One in sometimes getting them to be as familiar with technology like Teams that we are, um, yeah. because a lot of our clients, you know, that isn't their core business. And while we can talk about how great and easy that workspace is, if you throw lots of different tools at them and different processes, it can become quite difficult. And again, as you mentioned, if you're, if I give them access to my version of, of Microsoft Teams, if that's not what the familiar the environment they're familiar with, sometimes it is still a struggle to get them to, to update it. They don't see the updates. They don't have it sort of coming in. So there's, there's still a culture shift in, in sort of bringing people up to that point. And we're constantly almost training people on how to communicate with us as much as everything else. Um, the big part of it then is, is is really is kind of looking at, I suppose, really kind of redefining what it is they want from it and what they want to get to it. A lot of our role still hasn't changed in that process. You know, a lot of what we do still is is about actually helping people understand how to best make effect of a digital environment. Mm. You know, a digital strategy is not a website. Yeah. Um, it's actually how that integrates into their sales channel, how it integrates into their marketing, how their customers interact with that, um, and how they then use that information of those interactions and those those success or, or failure points to actually optimize that environment. Because 
it doesn't, you won't build it once and then that's it for five years. It's an evolving cycle. It has to grow, change and, um, and adapt to, to, to different customer needs and, and processes. And customers are all at different parts in the cycle. You know, some people might still be sitting there at the, you know, the research cycle trying to work it out. But how do you separate those from the people that are actually ready to make a buying decision or ready for one of your salespeople to talk to them? Um, you know, personalization has never quite really got there in, in, in a lot of the way that, uh, that, that I've understood it in the past through some of the big sort of personalization tools and things like that. Um, but if you do set up sort of lead scoring and lead benefit processes onto to clients, it can help you really kind of identify back to, you know, because this person has done these five tasks, there's a higher you know, possibility that they're more interested in, in, in doing this or the, at a right point in their knowledge, their own knowledge base for us to talk to them about this. Mm. Um, and, and we do, you know, have to be aware that, that, you know, clients are there. And I think one of the biggest differences that, that we have as a business, and, and maybe, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not, um, we don't always do what the client tells us. I've yet to find a client that can always brief us perfectly. Um, and I always have that process where, you know, we'll, I want a website. How much is it? Um, we don't know. What, what does it really need to do? How does it need to look? Well, we've got a brand. Mm, no, you've got a logo and a, maybe a little bit of a design system. How do we actually create that into to an experience? How do we then start to, to put that in and help you, your customers identify better with your value and your proposition of what you want to sell them rather than just a features and function set? Um, and I suppose that's the, the, the kind of process. I, I do see part of our role as a business in, in guiding clients on, on which bits actually need to be there. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in the, the process of, uh, of, of sort of, I suppose, growth-driven design, which is a case of, well, well, we'll work out what the end point needs to be, but we'll keep building it in small stages and through um, and analyzing that against an agreed measurement framework so that, you know, we're not going on this process where we'll build, you know, the, the world and then everyone will come to it. Um, we're going to sort of set it out and, and use interaction successes and different dynamics to actually work out which of the features and functions we build next. Um, and I suppose we need to take that, that personal vanity of what we want to do out of some of those pieces. How, how do you balance that, that sort of priority versus, um, impact um if we, we tend to sort of with any project is, is is play the futures game so so in the future um what will that mean to me as a business or to my customers and how will they be able to do something or interact or or, or do something on my business um and once you have that you can then button that back down to a set of features and function sets for your own project delivery um and then it's just a classic process of running through that with a you know i suppose a moscow rule or 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 an effort to cost timescale calculator that you start to prioritize things. Um, and rather than going away then and doing a three month build, you come back with a, with a new build at three months, you know, sorry, with a, a year's build, you come back at three months with, um, you know, here is the first iteration. Let's now roll these pieces out and grow that, learn from it, improve it, take it on to the next stage. And you actually create this evolving cycle rather than sort of boom and bust that, that happens with a lot of big digital projects. Yeah, that's the dream, a continuous improvement project or approach as opposed to um, fire and forget almost. Yeah, um, and, and that's the, you know, and you, to use that analogy, you've got it. Is, it is about aim, then fire, rather than fire, then aim. Yeah. Um, and, and taking that in a control process. Um, and if you can get a client that, that works well within within an iterative cycle, you can set up. Um, you know, we've done it with 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 large financial institutions with with a you know two week um, sprint cycles 
and building functionality and testing it and challenging it and then taking it out. Um, most clients will probably work on a four-week um, sprint cycle, fits nice into a, for us as a business, into a monthly billing cycle and, and sort of a, a budgetable process as well. Um, but it also means that, you know, the trick sometimes like with any optimization is not doing everything all at once because then it's harder to analyze which bit worked. Um, but if you can mm -hmm. actually sort of build them out in different stages or test and challenge different pieces, um, I suppose it's like a, a grandiose plan of, uh, of, of AB or multivariate testing. I have sort of a, a bit of an off the wall question. So if you if you don't, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you don't have an answer, we can just uh, cut this out. But I'll say no um, now, Angela. <laughs> sure, we can just move on. Um, no, but I've I've noticed a few uh, companies going uh, undergoing some major you know web rebrands, logo rebrands, sort of like refreshing their whole image during this time. So um, the two that come to mind for me are Intel and Citrix, uh, who both just uh, released some new logos and and web redesigns. So I'm just wondering if that's like a trend that you've seen in in your industry as well, or if you have any idea, you know why why now or if it's just a coincidence that I'm noticing it uh, on the tech side. Um, I think there is a, a, again, probably comes back to that piece of the value proposition. I think this period we're in now has changed the way, it's changed a lot of the needs or challenges that their customers have. And I think they're probably reacting to to some of that to either align or, or associate themselves better with that with them as a solution. Um, you know, in the five side, a lot of businesses that previously didn't need the internet to survive or didn't see the point of the internet to survive because they won their work through through totally, you know, on internet related activities, networking, personal relationships are all now having to jump online because that's the only way they can keep in touch. Um, and, you know, we, we've got a number of those. They probably fit into that that area that I mentioned, which is, well, I, I just, you know, color me in a WordPress template or, you know, do something like that. It's it's a little bit more than that. It's but, you know, I suppose as a business, we are more towards the type of customers that are probably second generation website owners. So they're, they're, they've had a website. It's not worked for them. They're growing. You know, we're, we're going to help them kind of sort of, you know, understand where it went wrong or evolve it to the next level. And I think that's been the beauty in some senses, but businesses that have had a trial and tested way of working have had to change and they've had to cut steps out that, you know, going back to that friction. Yeah. Um, you look at, at simple things like, like ordering food. How many pubs have you gone to now where you, you can order your food via app? Mm -hmm. I don't know if this in America or Heather, but this is very nice here in the UK. Yeah. But yeah. You're, booking, yeah. People, you're rocking up, you've got the menu before you get there. You literally are putting your order in as you sit down. So the food's just arriving. You know, your drinks are coming when you want them almost because you can order from the app. You don't have to flag someone down. You know, it's been, a, it's been technology been able to do that for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, or at least, at least as long as iPhone's been around. Um, but now every, every pub has had to do it because that's the way they survived. Because they can do takeaways and they can do, they can allow for people to sit at the tables. The bit for me is is, is like with the change in, in the way that, that we use cash, the way that we network as businesses, the way that we keep in touch with customers, the way that we, we engage within that whole sales process. All of that's going to change. I mean, the high street has been going through 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 a massive change for, for the past five years or more um, and, and, has, and, and hasn't had the ability to, to deal with those issues. This now has actually created that that point of change in a very, very short period of time, whereas previously they were, you know, I, I, I don't have any projects on at the moment that are cross-platform, offline and online requirements, whereas we want to also have a website and we also want to drive footfall through to our environment um, yeah. because all of that is, has, has just stopped. But 
you know, hopefully once we've all worked out really what that, um, what that value point is, really how our business interacts with it or can interact with it or work with a good agency or, or communications company to, to identify where those targets are and define that. Um, I, th- I think there's a lot of businesses that are going to come out of this very, very strong. Um, and that's, you know, that's not just the people that have jumped on the bandwagon selling, you know, hand sanitizer and masks at the moment. Yeah. You know, the, these are the businesses that, you know, in the past we would have talked around digital disruptors, you know, like Uber and things like that and stuff. But it's, you know, th- those are going to happen. They're, they're going to happen across all the industry. We're going to see lots more of those coming up in the near future. It's going to be, I don't know, really quite exciting to see how some traditional businesses really do evolve um, or get overtaken by some some of the new kids. Well, it's, it's something that came up, another guest we had, he mentioned that humanity has changed. Mm. You know, we've, we've found that because we probably have more time now, we're not rushing to commute and all the rest of it. You've got the time now to have a conversation, to, to mm. share stories, et cetera, um, and, and let's be robotic about, well, I've got 25 tasks to get done today and I've got seven hours to do it in, plus my commute. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's also quite a nice change because, you, you know, you've got a bit more, bit more airspace. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we've created an environment, you know, um, certainly for me, my business and, and the way that we work, um, you know, created a bit more family environment, created a bit more kind of process, a le- less tied to the office kind of culture. It's, you know, we are more, you know, flexible and free, even though we were, you know, as a business, fairly flexible and free anyway. But it's, mm. you know, and hopefully the other businesses will start to embrace that change. You know, people will abuse it. People, unfortunately, always will. But, you know. Um, if we can't trust people, then we're, we're, we're kind of stuck really, aren't we? Yeah, no, exactly. You can play, you know, you can play games at the office, you know, it, nothing about being in person means that people, if people are going to, you know, in my opinion, people are oh. going to not, not be efficient. They can, doesn't matter where they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, we have a whole team's channel just for, for not work related stuff you know so one of the guys had a very dodgy haircut soon recently so uh, <laughs> unfortunately in our morning team's call he uh, he had that screenshot taken and shared to the rest of them <laughs> one that he did himself um yeah no he did one of the brave the shave kind of uh, uh, kind of things and shaved his whole head um so it was quite good it's important to have yeah we tend to keep that on, on on whatsapp but yeah you gotta have it you gotta have a, an informal channel and a, an informal channel mm-hmm. yeah it is uh, I, you know but unfortunately um, people like that person on that BBC article don't uh, don't don't see that part to it. They, uh, you know, they they take it all the, completely the other way, and and unfortunately use technology for you know I suppose fairly underhanded processes. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we, it was in one of my other groups. We were having a chat about it because someone posted it, and and I, I do think there is a, a a use case for monitoring people's devices when when they work for you, mm-hmm. but not for those reasons. I think there's valid you know validity in is the device performing well enough for what that person's doing? Um, are they using applications that they should be using that go with their job? You know, if you're a developer, you're spending four hours a day in, in Outlook and they're probably not writing enough code for what they should be writing. Um, and you'd want to pick that up. In, in the same token, if you've given them a very small underpowered device, you'd want to pick that up as well if they're trying to compile code and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's, that's about coming back to results, not not uh, presence, um, you know, making sure they can deliver, but, but not, not for, you know, almost that kind of, um, micromanagement style. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
when we went into lockdown and everything else, I, I took the decision. We actually upgraded a lot of our own hardware. So, you know, um, so the two senior guys in my team have all had, you know, nice sort of um, more powerful sort of machines because, again, you know, there's nothing worse than 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 having that lag sort of sitting there or trying to get into it. You know, I think it's one of the adverts on the radio at the moment is, is you know, the lady that's created a wonderful office in her attic, but a Wi-Fi doesn't reach up there. Um, yeah. You know, it's that kind of kind of kind of issue. But um you know, having sort of, you know, the technology that's suitable to do the machines, the access to to, to information, keeping that sort of free and available. Um, but we're also working with a, a client at the moment that is, um, I think, identifying who people are talking to and making sure that those are the right sort of things. So we're, we're working with a client that uh, is, is around sort of protection, child protection. So rather than, and they're working at it and quite nicely have come at it from a completely different aspect to, whereas anyone can download net nannies and, and parental controls and stuff like that requires the parent to actually know how to do that and have access to the child's computers or phones to be able to do it, um, which, which is, which is not easy. They're approaching it from a, another way with through the schools, um, in the, in the process that the, um, the child will be validated by the school as a child. So yeah. therefore, then that information then will be made available to the social platforms, so the social platforms to make sure that none of the content that is given to that child is inappropriate. Um, and that then means that the people that really know the real answers are able to make sure that they're providing the right information. Um, mm -hmm. And people that should be taking more of a of a um, a control on the sort of content that's available on their platforms are actually hold to to task on making sure that they deliver that correctly. You know, I mean, Facebook's had an underage limit for ever since it was launched, but who polices it? <laughs> Nobody. No, exactly. I guess, Alex, is, is there anywhere, um, you know, people can find you if they want to um, get in touch or learn more? Um, yeah, I'm available on LinkedIn. Um, I think uh, Alex Clifford, I'm in my own LinkedIn URL now. Um, <laughs> I'm sure if they find yeah, you and your agency. Yeah, I, we're, as a business, we're, we're very active on, on LinkedIn. I, we publish a lot of content both under my own profile, but also under our company Logic Digital's profile um, on doing those. Um, and obviously logicdigital.co.uk is our website address. Well, thank you again. Once It was a, it was a great conversation. Excellent. Super. Well, Thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to chat to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.